Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Carlos Vivas, and he's going to tell us about his near-death experience. Hi, Carlos. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for enjoying us. Thank you for inviting me, Peggy. Really appreciate your invitation. And most today is my birthday, so I feel like wow, this is amazing. You know, tell my Happy story. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank Your you so background, much. that reminds me of a, a spaceship. It is, actually is it's a spaceship. Is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. It's, it's different, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> That's what I do. I do Toastmasters, and uh, this is the background that I use when I'm in class. Do you? I went to one yeah. of those meetings one time, and I just chickened yeah. out. <laughs> It's good because it takes you away all that fear, you know, to speak in public and all that. Okay. So it's really good. So you ready to tell okay. your story? Yeah, I'm ready to tell my story. Okay. okay. You want me to go from the beginning? Okay. This is what happened. Well, for everybody who don't know me, my name is Carlos. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and this happened in 2015. Was just a regular person like anybody else working nine to five and... One day was Memorial Day 2015. Um, I wake up early in the morning. I go to my living room. It was sunny day. I sit down on my sofa, turn my TV on to watch TV. And as soon as the TV turned on, I see the news. And on the news was uh, a guy that he could get a rifle and start killing kids in a school. So I get like, really, at this time in the morning? So I turn off the TV and I said, you know what, God, this is it for me. If you are real, you need to explain me what these kind of things happen around the world. You know, I feel like I deserve an answer as a human being, you know, and I guess everybody like us asks these questions once in a while, you know, and I was like, God, please tell me why this is happening. And in that moment, and I, I say that from the bottom of my heart. So in that moment, my phone rings. And I grabbed the phone and was one of my best friends and said, like, Carlos, do you want to go to the beach this weekend with my family? I said, sure. Where are we going? We're going to Panama City. I said, okay, let's go. So we traveled to Panama City that weekend. And uh, we went on Friday. We arrived at the hotel, went to sleep. Next morning, wake up. Uh, it was my friend and his family. We were seven people. We drove to the first place and it was packed because it was Memorial Day. It was a holiday. Go to a, a second beach. It was packed too. Third beach, same thing packed. So I said, you know what? I know a, a place that is not going to be like this. It's called San Andrew State Park. You pay $20 and you get a boat that's going to take you to an island. And the island name is called uh, Chill Island. I said, okay, let's go there. So we go to that island. And as soon as we arrived there, there was a, a line of cars. We paid the tickets. And uh, actually, I, that was my first time going from that island because I always go into another marinas to get uh, the boat going there. So uh, we start going to the information office to get the ticket. We grab the tickets. And from there, uh, we get a bus. There was a shuttle bus that took us to a marina. And from the marina, we went to the island. When we arrived to the island, it was a sunny day. It was beautiful. But the base side of the island was packed, was full of people too. So I tell my friends, you know what? Let's go to the back side of the island that is an open ocean. I say, okay, let's go. So we start walking around the island. And when we're half aware of the island, there is a guy says, excuse me, guys, where are you guys going? So we're going to the open ocean. I said, that's very dangerous. I said, like, sir, I've been coming here for more than 10 years. Nothing is going to happen. Don't worry. So like, well, okay, so be careful. 
So we arrived to the backside of the island and I put my tent and I put some chairs. Everybody started bringing food and drinks. And we stayed there from 9 a.m. till 4 p.m. Around 4 p.m., we were having a, a nice day, whole day. And at 4 p.m., my friend said, Carlos, we want to walk around the island. And I said, okay, you guys go because I've been here so many times. I'm going to stay here taking care of everything, okay? So they left. I was by myself. And then after 10 minutes, it started getting very hot. I started sweating a little bit. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to swim. Just to let you know, when I was a child, I, I used to be on a swimming team, so I'm not afraid to swim. So I jumped into the water around four. I was swimming, everything was fine. And out of the sudden, a riptide current came under me and drove me far, far away into the ocean. I didn't know what a riptide was, so I didn't know what was happening. So it's like a big twister under the water, like a whirlpool under the water, and it threw me far, far away. The way that I explain to people, if you saw the movie, Finding Nemo, you see in the cartoon that the whirlpool come and grab all the fishes and take it far, far away from the island. So when the whirlpool stop, I pull my head out of the water and I see the island far, far away. And I say, what, how I get here? Okay, I just need to come down and swim back. So I start swimming and swimming and swimming. Guess what? Every time that I pull my head out of the water, I see the island farther and farther away. Why? Because I didn't know the whirlpool was taking me more inside of the ocean, the riptide. So at this point, I was like, oh, my God. So I start swimming and swimming and swimming. And every time I'm farther and farther and farther. After 30 minutes fighting and fighting and fighting, and I didn't know you cannot fight with a riptide, never. You know, you feel like a fly in the middle of the ocean. So after 30 minutes, I said, you know what? This is it. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to survive this. I'm just going to die. So in that moment, I started getting cramps on my arms, on my legs, and I knew the moment was about to end in that moment. And I looked to heaven and I said, okay, God, I never thought in a million years that today is going to be my last day, but if you want to take me, I'm ready. But before I go, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for my mom. Thank you for my dad. Thank you for my brothers, my sisters. Thank you for everything you give me. And I'm sorry if I did something wrong. As soon as I said that, behind me, I heard a voice that said, ask for help. And I look back, it's like, what? And I don't see anyone. I just hear the, the wind and the ocean, the, the waves. And then I heard again, ask for help. And then I get mad. I said, really? I've been here for over 30 minutes trying to get out of here. Could you help me at least? Nothing, just the wind again. Then I tried to swim again, and then I heard the voice for the third time. I told you to ask for help. I was like, oh, my God, okay, okay, there is no way I'm going to get out of here. In my mind, there was not, no way in a million years that I'm going to get out of there. But this voice is still insisting behind me. And I was like, okay, okay. So I started screaming, help, help, help. At the end of the island, one of my best friends came out of the group because he felt something was wrong. And he went to, or 10, and he didn't saw me there. He went to the beach. He didn't saw me there. He went to the top of a hill, and from the hill, he saw me far, far away into the island. And then he started jumping, Carlos, I'm gonna call 911, hold on, hold on. And in that moment, he ran, but he didn't call 911. He went back to the tent, he grabbed a, a tubing, he went to the top of a hill and he threw the tubing. He thought that the tubing magically is gonna fly a mile from where I was. Uh -huh. He was so nervous that he didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And then when he saw it didn't work because the tubing, came back to him because of the wind. He said, oh my God, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me call more people. So in that moment, he ran away 
to the other side of the island, grabbed the people that was boarding the boats going back to Panama City. And in that moment, a lot of people came. Six guys jumped from the rocks. Everybody started swimming my way. And in that moment, I said, oh my God, thank you, God. They're going to save me. They're going to save me. And at that moment, we hear a thunder behind me. I was like, thunder? So when I look back, the ocean was getting dark and big waves were coming behind me and they started lightning too. So after 10 minutes that these guys trying to grab me, the ocean is still taking me away. And after 10 minutes, everybody give up and everybody starts turning around. And when I see that, I said, you know what, God? I don't want to fight anymore. And in this moment, I'm going to surrender. And I always make a pause right here because every time that I go to a church or a hospital or a university, I tell everybody, how many times in your life you are trying to fight against your husband, your wife, your school, your work, anything in your life. And the only thing you have to do is surrender. When you cannot hold it anymore, you need to surrender. And that's what I did in that moment. And as soon as I surrendered, I closed my eyes and a huge wave came and crushed me under the water. So when I was under the water, I opened my eyes and I see a big shadow that's coming my way. So in that moment, I thought it was a chart. So I covered my face and I just waiting for the bite, right? So I was like, oh my God, this is it. So in that moment, the chart came. I thought it was a chart. It wasn't a chart. The thing came, grabbed me by my stomach and pushed me all the way to the super, to the top of the ocean. And when I look back to see what it was, guess what it was? You know, a dolphin, a huge dolphin. So I grabbed the dolphin by the tail and I start crying, but I couldn't believe that the dolphin saved my life. As soon as I, uh, I see the dolphin, I start crying like, oh, how you did that? Oh my God, oh my God. Well, 10 minutes pass, I'm with the dolphin. He don't move nowhere, he stay there. And after 10 minutes, a feature boat show up in front of me. So the guy says, son, I can't save you, but I cannot get close to you because the wave there is so big because the thunderstorm is coming. I'm gonna throw you a rope. So he threw me a rope, I went to the boat. And then when I arrived to the boat, I just hold it because the boat was tall and the guy started screaming at me. I said like, what are you doing? I was like, sorry, I'm just getting air. I've been here for more than 45 minutes. I said like, no, 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 no. You need to get in right now. I said like, what? I said like, sorry, I have cramps all over my body. And the guy started screaming like, no, you don't understand. I said, what are you talking about, sir? I said, my body's sinking. I said, your body's sinking, how? I have a pump inside of the boat and the pump stopped. So all the waves, they're getting inside of my boat and the boat is full of water, it's floating. So go to the back, you're gonna see some steps and you're gonna jump in. So I go to the back. In this moment, the dolphin is still with me. So I go to the back of the boat, I see the steps, I jump in. And as soon as I jump in, I see like this of water inside of the boat. And I was like, oh my God, sir, do you have any bucket? I take the water out. So like, no, no, we don't have any bucket. And don't worry, we don't have time for that. We need to get out of here. So sit down right here and I go around the island. So I sit down, I was shaking, it was cold, it was freezing. And then the guy's like, okay, son, so are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. So where's your family? Where's your friends? And my friends are there in, in the island. So nobody saw what happened to you. So like, nobody saw that. Mm -hmm. So he asked me like, I want to ask you a question. Where are you from? I said, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And what about you, sir? I said, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia too. And we're in Florida, right? And he's like, wow, that was weird. What part, where do you live? I said, I live in Duluth, what about you? And he said, I live in Norcross. Duluth and Norcross is next to each other. So like, wow, we're neighbors too, that's crazy. 
And in that moment, the guy's like, oh my God, look behind you, look behind you. And I look behind me. And then he grabbed his camera, he started filming. And when I look behind me, guess what? Behind of the boat, the jump, the dolphin was jumping and the dolphin started following us all the way around the island. So when we finally get to the bay side, the guy said, okay, son, I have to leave you right here because I need to fix my boat. But if you want to see me again, every Memorial Day, I'm going to be here. So God bless you and take care. Okay. So I say the same. God bless you. Thank you for saving my life, sir. I jump off the boat and I start walking to the shore. By the shore, there was nobody because everybody ran to the other side of the island. So when I was walking, the water was low. So that was, I, I could walk. And when I was walking, something hit my leg from behind. And when I looked back, the dolphin was behind me and the dolphin went all the way to the shore. So I was crying because like, why did this dolphin follow me? This is crazy. So when I get to the shore, I went on my knees in the water and I said, you know what, God, I'm gonna make you a promise right here. If you save me with this dolphin right here, it's because you have a purpose for my life. I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what is my future, but I'm gonna tell you something. From today, Carlos died into the ocean. The person who's coming out of the water is gonna be you. From today, I want you to take over my life, my soul, and work through me whatever you want to work from me. So it, I give you my life and I give you everything I am to you. And from this moment, it's you through me. And in that moment, it started thundering and lightning. I started raining. The dolphin leave. The police arrive. People running from the other side of the island. Everybody started hugging me and crying. And after everybody did all that, uh, one of my friends asked me, what do you want to do? I said, like, could you take me to a church? This was a miracle. So they take me back to the closest church that was next to the island. It was uh, a Catholic church called Fatima. When we arrived to the church, the church was closed, but it was a chapel outside. There was like a little cave. Inside of the cave was Virgin Mary and it was full of candles. So we did a circle inside and out of this cave and everybody that came from the beach, we did a circle and we prayed for like 20, 30 minutes. After we finished, my guy said, what do you want to do? It's like, let's go back to the hotel. I want to take a shower, eat something, and go to sleep. So I went back to the hotel. I get something to eat. I took a shower. And I, as soon as I was getting, going to sleep, I have an epiphany. So it's like a vision. So in this vision, I'm on the third floor of a carnival cruise. And I'm watching the ocean. It's a blue ocean blue sky, it's like 12 noon, I'm grabbing the handrails of this huge carnival cruise. And then at the end of the ocean, I see a tsunami rising. And just to let you know, since I was a child, I always see that a tsunami is coming, but this time the tsunami was even closer. So I was like, oh, here we go again. The tsunami is coming again. So I close my eyes and say, okay, I'm about to die. So I'm ready. So I'm waiting 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes, nothing happened. And after 30 minutes, somebody come behind and say, like, hey, open your eyes and look at me. I said, like, I don't want to open my eyes. We're about to die. I said, like, no, you're never going to die with me. I said, who are you? I said, look at me. I said, like, no, I don't know who you are. I'm scared. I said, look at me. So I take my hands on my face. I look back. And I knew in my heart was Jesus because I couldn't see his face. It was just light coming from his face. He was taller than me, like 6'5". He had a white robe. And he said, I want you to close your eyes. So I closed my eyes and he hugged me from the back. And as soon as he hugged me, 10 seconds passed. And then he said, open your eyes. So I opened my eyes 
and he opened his arms. And what I have in front of me, it was like I was frozen. I couldn't believe it. I was in heaven. So when I look in front of me, there are millions of people in front of me. Imagine having like a huge golf course, all green, sky is infinite, and millions of millions of people in front of me dressing with white robes. And I was like, what? Is this heaven? And Jesus said, yes. It's like, you, Jesus, like, Jesus, no, 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 no. This means that I die? No, I need to go back. I have a lot to do. I cannot die right now. You take me back and say, like, Carlos, no. You make a promise to me, and you need to fulfill that promise. So welcome to heaven. From today, you start walking with me and walking with all of them. From today, you're part of me and part of all of them. Do you have any question? I said, yeah, I have any question. I have a question. Uh, where all these people come from? I said, they're coming from all over the world. And then I said, and what is the true religion in heaven? And he said, in heaven, there is no religions. What you're going to find here is the love. The love of God is going to unite the whole humanity in one. So let's go and do a life review. So he put his hand over me, his arm, and we start walking in heaven. So he started doing a life review. When, when he finished the live review, he said, okay, it's time for you to go back and tell others what you saw here. So he pushed me down and I went back to earth. Do you have any questions till now? No, go ahead. Okay. So when I wake up the next day, I tell my friends what happened. On Monday, I go back to work and I work in an office for 20 years. So I have other, I'm a manager. I have other managers with me and I say, guys, get what happened this weekend. A dolphin saved me, and everybody's like, yeah, right, a dolphin saved me. And behind me, somebody said, I believe you. And I looked back, it was my boss, and he said, and I said to him, like, really? Do you believe me? And they don't believe me? Why they don't believe me? I said, first of all, I'm a Christian. They are atheists. They don't believe in this, okay? Number two, I want you to go on your computer and Google how many people have been saved by dolphin through history. And then I Google it, and guess what? A lot of people have been saved by dolphins. I didn't know that. Then he said, now Google how many people die in Florida every year by riptide currents. And I Google it every year, more than 100 people die in Florida because that's a silent killer. Nobody knows. So now he said, now Google, what is the meaning of the dolphin for Christians? I said, like, what? what are you talking about? So when I Google and you can do it too, the meaning for dolphin for Christians means the hope of eternal life. The dolphin represents Jesus. I was like, what? <laughs> I will never knew that, right? So that happened on Monday. On Wednesday, my boss sent me to a customer. One of my employees broke a lamp in a basement. And I'm, as a manager, I have to go and fix the lamp. So I go there. The customer is, is cooking. And she said, Carlos, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Could you go to the basement? At the end of the basement, you're going to turn the light and you will see the lamp. It's a gold lamp on a corner. So I go down to the basement. And as soon as I get to the last room, I turn the light, I see the lamp, but next to the lamp was a huge painting. Guess what was in the painting? My holy scene in heaven. That, like millions of people dressing white robes, Jesus in the middle, a dolphin at the bottom of Jesus. And I, this was too overwhelming for me. I was like, are you kidding me? This is too much for me. So I started crying there because I was overwhelmed. So the customer come down and she said, Carlo, what's going on? I said, like, how in the world you have this painting right here? I, I, I was there like three days ago and you got it here, like how? And she said, well, three years ago, a friend of mine came here with a big canvas and I started doing this painting. I was a gift for my family, but you can take pictures all you want. So that happened on Wednesday. On Thursday, I called my best friend and told this story. He said like, Carlos, you need to go to church. This is a testimony and you need to tell people what's going on. 
And I said, are you kidding me? I will never say that story because everybody's going to laugh at me. I mean, you know how many haters they're going to start making fun of this? Like, no, I will never do that. Anyways, he was over an hour on the phone and he convinced me at the end. On, on Sunday, I go to his house. He prepares some breakfast with his wife. After we eat breakfast, he said, okay, what church do you want? And I said, you know what? Any church, I don't care. You know, it's the same word for everybody. So we Google a church close to his house and the only church close to him was St. Michael the Archangel. So, okay, the, it, we're supposed to arrive early and yeah, we, we have time to arrive early. And so when we drove there, he never been there. I never been there neither. When we're pulling in, there was like hundreds of cars in the parking lot. People were celebrating, there were balloons everywhere. I asked a lady next to where we parked, uh, what's going on? The lady said, well, today is the inauguration of a big cathedral and you guys came at the moment of the inauguration. Okay, so we saw the whole inauguration. At the end, I spoke with the priest and I tell that I have a testimony. And at the end of the, the whole church, the service, he said, okay, Carlos, go and go to the podium and tell your testimony. So for the first time, I'm shaking, I'm scared. I grab the microphone and start telling my story. And guess what? When I'm in the middle of my story, a 17-year-old girl raised her hand and says, excuse me, sir, excuse me. I want to interrupt your story. I said, yeah, go ahead. What's, are you okay? What's going on? And she's like, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay. How Jesus was with you? I said, Jesus was behind me. While he was dressing, he was dressing a white robe. Uh, where you were in front of him, what Jesus was doing, he was hugging me from behind. Why? And she said, look at this. You have to see this. So she have a black long hair. She put the hair in front of her. She turned around. And in the back of the teacher, she have a painting, like a print on the teacher. And it was this painting right here. I don't know if you can see it. Uh -huh. Okay. So she showed me she showed me this. And I was like, did you ever see that? I said, like, no. It was like that? I said, yeah. It was exactly like that. He was hugging me from behind. I was like, okay. So everybody in church started murmuring. I was like, oh my God, you guys planned this. I was like, no, I don't know her. And I never see that painting before. So after the church, I go home and I go on my computer and I Google Jesus hugging a guy. So that image came and it came with a story. In the year 1992, a famous painter called Thomas Blackshear started doing this painting and he started doing fasting for two weeks. You know fasting? Like no mm -hmm. eating, drinking water, and praying. And after two weeks, he started doing the painting of Jesus. He started asking God, let me paint the image of Jesus, please. So he started doing the painting. Half of the way, he said the Holy Spirit talked to him. And so like, Thomas, it's a beautiful painting. But when you finish that painting, you need to explain to people what is the meaning of that painting. And he said, why? Because everybody needs to understand what, what that painting does for people. So, okay. So at the end, he finished with the painting and he wrote a book. And guess what's the name of the book? Forgiveness. And that's how my story ends. Jesus told me in heaven, in order for people to continue living this life in peace, you need to forgive. What do you need to forgive? Three people. Number one, your parents. Why? It doesn't matter if they abandon you. It doesn't matter if they abuse you. It doesn't matter if they hit you or they didn't like you. They did the best they could to give you the best you have. They didn't have a manual to raise kids. Number two, you need to forgive your inner child. Why? Because that little baby inside of you couldn't defend itself. 
nobody can hear, you know? So it's not his fault. It's time to grab that baby, hug him and say, you know what, you're safe with me. Because that baby inside of us is always trying to take our attention and we bury that baby inside of you, you know? And number three, we need to forgive all the people that harm us in our lives. When we forgive our parents, our inner child, and the people that harm us in our lives, what we do is we don't forgive them. We're forgiving ourselves. From that moment, you open your heart and you throw away all the hate and all the resentment and all the poison that's been eating you inside of you for years. And from that moment, you're free. From that moment, it's like you have a balloon with a stream and you cut the string, you let the balloon go. And from that moment is when Jesus told me, you start living your purpose in life. And he said, you know what is the biggest purpose for everyone? Like everybody's always asking, what is my purpose in life? I don't know what is my purpose. Jesus told me very easy. The biggest purpose in life is called service. Why service? Because when you die, you don't want to take your house, your Bitcoin, your money, nothing. When you die, what you're going to take with you is how many people you help, how many people you give food, how many people you give love. How, how was the legacy? What was the legacy that you left behind? What are other people is going to remind you? What was your blueprint that you left on this, this earth? So I'm asking you right now, and I ask you, everybody that is watching, what are you doing today? to change people's lives. Do you remember Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Mahalma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Mother Luther King, Princess Diana, what they did was service and their service continue until today. So we can do the same. We can do service to people and help humanity. When you go to heaven and they do your life review, they're gonna ask you, it was worth it for you to go to earth? What did you learn there? How many people you help? So it's better with yourself to have something that make you feel satisfied with yourself and say, you know what? I help people. I did my best because at that moment you, you cannot regret anything. You already did it, you know? So I ask everybody and all the audience that is watching, what are you doing today to change people's life? You know, if you have uh, somebody at the hospital, like, could you go and visit? Could you pray for them? Could you help in so many ways? You know, I mean, I, I don't ask you, you your forces to help, but it's, it's going to change something inside of your heart. When you help somebody, you get filled with love and love that we all have inside of us. And I think our life is a manifestation of love, but it's depend of us that this love come out and transform the world. And that's my story. <laughs> that is a cool story. <laughs> yes and another thing that i want to tell you after this happened to me i started thinking maybe this was my imagination <laughs> you know like maybe i'll make this up and then little by little little miracles start happening around me miracles 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 and to the point that i was very overwhelming and i said to god like god what do you really want from me so I heard the voice that said, I want you to write a book. I said, I'm not a writer. Are you kidding me? I, mean, I don't know how to do that. And he said, I want you to write a book. Anyways, for two years and a half, I run, I hide. I tried to escape from this. And it's like, why did you choose me? Why you don't grab somebody else? <laughs> Look, I have to work nine to five. I don't have time for this, you know? Could you please grab somebody else? Like, no, I want you. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> After two years and a half, I said, okay, 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 okay. I'm, I'm with you, whatever you want, I'll do it, okay? 
So I said, okay, if you want me to write a book, put the right people on my way so I can write this book. And guess what? Months later, a person showed up for the University of Washington, um, D.C., and they offered me uh, to write this book. And uh, in one year during the pandemic, I wrote the book. And the book, what I just told you was the first chapter, but it have more chapters behind. It's all my relation with God and how it was growing. I'm not a fanatic, uh, uh, religious fanatic. I always believe in God, and, and I believe that we all have a connection with God everywhere you go, you know? But it's up to you. It's up to your heart. You cannot go to church and trying to put a mask, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm the best, and then go to the street and do something else, you know? Because God can see through your heart, and you cannot, I mean, you cannot, take that mass in front of him because he knows who you are, you know? So that transformed my life. I wrote the book and now I'm writing my second book right now. And it's about all the miracles that happened uh, in order to, to do the first book and to do the second book. And I just want to tell you one. One of my first miracles, I was like three or four years ago, I was in my room 2 a.m. in the morning and I hear a thunder inside of my house. And I jump on my bed and I heard the voice of God saying, I want the name of your book called Hell from Heaven. I was like, what? So I jump on my bed. I turn the light. Who is there? Who is there? I check the whole house. I don't see anyone. I go to my computer, and you can do it too. Put Google and type Hell from Heaven. And guess what? A song came out. That's the first thing that Google is going to send you. It's a big song, a video. And the video is called Hell from Heaven by Matt Riemann. That is a famous, famous uh, Christian singer. And when I started listening to the lyrics of the song, is God explaining me why he did all this to me. It's on the lyrics. So I started crying. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and this is just one of the things. The second thing that I want to tell you, I was invited to a spiritual retreat. And the last day before the spiritual retreat was ended, a priest came to us and said, I want you to grab a Bible and put your hands on the top of the Bible and ask God, what do you really want for your life? Just one question per person. We were 50 guys and I asked, okay, God, if you really want me to, to write this book, I need an answer. I need something that it really say something about a book, okay? I need, I need to know that this, I'm not making this up, okay? So the priest said, okay, Carlos, don't worry. Tomorrow you will have your answer. Next day, we, arrive, we wake up, we go take breakfast, and after breakfast, they take us to a huge ballroom. And there are 50 chairs all over the place. And the priest said, everybody get in and grab any chair you want. So everybody sit down in any chair. On the top of the chair was a manila envelope. Do you know the yellow envelopes, manila? So he said, okay, I want you to grab the manila envelope and start passing the manila envelope through the whole room. So everybody start passing the manila envelope. And then after 30 seconds, I stop. And now I want to tell you something. That chair, you took it by yourself. Nobody sees you there. Number two, the manila envelope that was in your chair, you already shifted to another chair. So it's not the same manila envelope. Now, what you're going to open there is the answer that you ask. So now, everybody, please open your manila envelope, and that's the answer for it. So guess what? When I open my manila envelope, this is what it was inside. Could you see the book? Mm -hmm. Could you see Jesus coming out of the book and people from every country of the world grabbing the book and hearts all over? 
So in that moment, like, I start crying. I say, okay, God, I don't need any more answers. It's real. I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is the biggest thing that you just show me, and I'm doing it. So, and that's how I, I finished ending, I mean, releasing my book, making my book. Do you have any questions? <laughs> Who were these people? Where did you say they come from that helped you with your book? Oh, it's called uh, New Degree Press. It's uh, Georgetown University in, uh, in Washington, D.C. So had they heard your story or something? Or? No, actually, I was going to, um, to a meeting in Atlanta. It's called uh, CEO Meetings. It's not that I am a CEO, I'm an employee, I'm a manager, but a friend of mine was the CEO of a company. And I said, like, Carlos, I want you to come to these meetings because you can hear what the CEOs of all Atlanta, they are talking about. So it was a circle that I used to meet on Atlanta History Center every week on Fridays. And it's, they still does get there. And um, one day I go there and one of the CEOs said, who wanna write a book here? I was like, what? But I don't say anything, right? And my friend who invited me, he grabbed my hand, hey, this guy right here. <laughs> because I didn't, I was scared, I didn't know how much it's gonna cost, you know? And then uh, the guy, okay, give me your phone number. So I gave my phone number. And then uh, this guy started calling me and calling me and calling me. He was calling me so much that I, I blocked him on my phone. He's like, oh my God, this is too much. And then when he saw that, he sent me a message, Carlos, I just feel that you need to write whatever you, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you need to write, I have in my heart the feeling that you need to write this, so please do it. And I said, you know what, just send me the paperwork. So I checked all the paperwork and I said, you know what, I can do this. So I started, I called the university, I started the program and the program took one year and it was amazing. It was a year working every day I wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning to get inspired to write the stories about the miracles that happened to me. And I have editors every week checking with me. I have uh, time uh, deadlines every week, you know, to finish each story. And you know how it is because you wrote a book. <laughs> but it, it, was a, it was a beautiful journey. I mean, it was beautiful. And, I, and now I want to repeat it with this second book. Is I have a lot of miracles. And most of the miracles happen here in Atlanta. Another happened in Vegas, in Miami, and I'm gonna put the places so people can go. Like one of the Atlanta ones was with Mother Teresa of Calcutta. So Mother Teresa in 2000, 2000 she, she died in 2007, 2005 or six, she came to Atlanta and she inaugurated the Mother Teresa house. I didn't know that, not at all. So one day I'm going to, the, to Walmart, <laughs> And my sister called me, my sister is a school teacher. And she said, Carlos, guess what? I want you to go when you get home, where you are right now? So I'm, go to the grocery store. I want you to watch this movie. It's called The Letters from Mother Teresa. I said, the letters, what letters? I said, well, it's happened the same that is happening to you. You know, Mother Teresa was receiving miracles and miracles and she was asking God, why did you send me these miracles? I don't deserve this, please stop. So she was frustrated and she wrote these letters to God. Now there is a movie and when you get home, please watch it. I was starting at Catholic school. So that's how I know Mother Teresa, right? So I'm walking to Walmart, the glass doors of Walmart's open. Guess who's coming out? Three nuns of Mother Teresa house. And I was like, what? So I said, excuse me, are you from Mother Teresa? I said, yes. What do you do here? I said, we live here. But are you from Calcutta, India? I said, yeah. Where do you live? I said, we live here in Mother Teresa house. Mother Teresa house. I said, yeah, you want to come? I said, yeah, sure. But I didn't know that. So I, 
two weeks later, I go to that house. And as soon as I get in, I mean, they show me everything around, but they didn't let me in inside of the house because the house was a hospice. You know, it's a hospice where people go to die. So, you know, Mother Teresa was famous because she used to take people from the street to help them, people that didn't have any money. So she take women they are dying with AIDS and cancer in this center and the nuns take care of them. So after I show everything, they show me the whole thing. They, they said, Carlos, Mother Superior wants to talk to you. So I said, okay, they take me to the office. I get in. I said, yes, Mother. Hey, nice to meet you. My name is Carlos and Mother Superior. Come on, Carlos, it's a pleasure to meet you. Sit down. So I sit down. I said, so good morning. What a, a nice morning that we have a visitor like you, but we don't have a visitor's guys, you know, to visit like ladies that are dying and nuns. Are you okay? Something happened to you? I said, like, yes, yeah, something happened to me. So I tell the dolphin story. And when I finished with the story, I show this picture. So when I show this picture to her, she's like, oh my God, this is a miracle. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I said, like, what are you talking about? So she grabbed her rosary and she started praying. I was like, well, what's going on? So I get scared because I didn't know what was happening. And she started screaming, yelling, everybody, every, all the nuns, come here, come here, showing the, the picture. So I show the picture to the nuns and everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God. So everybody starts praying, it's like, what's going on? Jesus, tell me something. When we tell you when we finish. So they start praying the rosary. And when they finish, the mother superior said, Carlos, you're here because God sent you here. I was like, no. I found these ladies at Walmart and they invited me here. God didn't send me here, okay? It's <laughs> so like, oh yes, he did. I said, so like, what are you talking about? So she opened her cabinet on her desk and she have some pair of uh, scissors. And she said, take these scissors, please. I said, so like, scissors for what? Look behind you, there is a box. I want you to open the box and you will see what I'm talking about. So I look behind me, there is a big box, right? So I'm cutting all the tape on the box. And as soon as I opened the box, guess what was inside? 100 t-shirts with the same image of Jesus like this. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, in two weeks from now, we're gonna have a spiritual retreat for young people. You know, they're trying to commit suicide or they're going alcohol or drugs and we're trying to sell their souls. And we choose, we prayed a lot to, to choose an image for them to look at it. And it was the same image that you brought to me. So it's the forgiveness. So I was like, wow. So that's just a little taste. Did of she invite you to tell your story to those kids? Oh, yes, yes. You know, awesome. she invited me because she said like, Carlos, we have a program in Atlanta. Atlanta have the biggest place for, um, uh, how do you call um uh, the people that came from other countries for war zones, um, refugees. I have Atlanta have the biggest refugee camp in the United States. It's called Clark, Clarkston, Georgia. And they have two movies about it. So they took me there. And I never expect this, but it was a huge place. I mean, a lot of people from Asia, uh, over 200 kids. And um, they have a, like a little school. The nuns give class ma uh, mathematics and, and English there. And yeah, they, they put all the kids together for me to give this story. And after I told the story, I mean, it was overwhelming. Uh, they invite me to do the summer camp. They have a summer camp for the kids. And it was a beautiful experience. And everybody can go to Mother Teresa and help them with the chores and anything they want there. So yeah. were the immigrants able to understand your language? 
well, yeah, I was speaking English, but mostly was for the kids. And the kids were all in school, and they, yeah, they understood. And they start asking me questions like, "How did think the dolphin was? It was big. It was small. What color it was? You know? <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful." So yeah. you're you started out with the story on the news about the kids. What do you say now? Did you get your answer. If I what? I'm sorry. Did you get your answers? Why is this? Oh, happening? Yeah, 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 definitely. My answer was that is there are certain things that we don't know. Word, remember on the Bible it said God works in mysterious ways. We don't know what is what that happened, but it's not up to us. For you and for me, is to be the best version of yourself, to bring the light that is inside of you to others and to help others. You cannot change those events. You cannot do anything. What you can do is pray for things to change and be the best version so you can help everybody and be the light in your community and in your family. You know, everything is started by you. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Everything is start from you to the world, you know. Yeah. And like Teresa said, like, the lesson in your story is to ask. Yes, ask. And mm -hmm. I always ask people that ask and should be given. Noggin will be open. Look and you will find. That's my three like biggest. Why? We have a um uh, how do you call that? <laughs> I forgot right now. Um Ah, help me here. You know that you have your own, I forgot how to say that, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, when you decide by yourself, like God cannot intervene. So in order for God to intervene in your life, you have to open your mouth and ask. But you have to ask from the bottom of your heart. And when I go to churches or schools and people ask me, oh my God, I would love to live that experience. I'm like, no, you want, you don't want to live my experience, believe me. If you go through what I've been through in my life, you don't want to. But everything in my life, and I put it on my book, it's like a spider web. You don't understand the events that happen in your life until when you get older, you look back and you see the thread like the spider web and you start pointing, every point in your life happened for a reason. And if this didn't happen, you couldn't learn this. And you are who you are because all the lessons that happen in your life. And that's make you grow up and that's make you do what you do, like help other people through your stories. Free will, that's what I was trying to say, free will. So you have free will and God cannot intervene in your life if you don't open your mouth <laughs> and say, please help me, you know? But it has to be from your heart. And there is people that I heard that, like, oh, I've been trying to look God uh, for years and I pray. It's like, yeah, but you have to go inside of you and honestly open yourself and ask and you will hear the voice. Definitely. I have just realized that recently that, you know, we pray sometimes you just have a lot of chatter and uh, mind stuff. But yes. when it comes from deep in your heart, it sounds and feels so differently. Mm -hmm. Like it's in a other place it's it it is a deep in your heart oh yeah and you recognize it immediately because people i mean oh do you know it's god or do you think you're making it it's like oh no you know i mean i know <laughs> you know yeah. it's this different and you know that is is it's good it feels good in your heart and that's how you know you know it feels and you know that you what you have to do you know it seems like your story um 
I mean, your story, but your experience has a lot to do with paintings. Have you tried painting? No. I, well, when I was a child, that was my favorite thing to do, painting all the times. Uh, but as I grew up, I just were putting them behind. I just want to let you know, when I was in high school, we used to have an art class. And I every, my whole room used to give me their notebooks for me to do the paintings from Michelangelo or whatever that we have to give them to the teacher. And I used to do like 42 notebooks because I used to love to paint. But through time, I left it away, you know. But yeah, maybe come back to, to painting. Because you wouldn't be surprised if you don't have a gift now with painting because you that's just keeps being a reoccurring theme in your experience. Yeah, yeah I'd maybe start doing it again. Good. You have any other Hope questions? You do. <laughs> huh? Other questions you have? Like oh, oh gosh. Yeah, I did. I did as I, as I went along and I, um, the dolphin, mm -hmm. can you tell me that part again, how it showed up and what happened before the boat? It's just kind of like, I didn't get to picture it. Okay. So uh, when everybody was on my way to save me, you remember that people started jumping yeah. from the rock, like six guys, everybody was on my way to me when I heard a thunder behind me. And when I heard the thunder, I looked back, a thunderstorm was forming and all the sky was getting dark. So in that moment, everybody that was on the way to me started turning around because I understand they don't wanna die for somebody that they don't know. And the, the ocean was getting very dangerous and the big waves were coming left and right. And as soon as they turned around and left me and I said, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm gonna die right here, you know, this is it for me. But I never in a million years thought what was going to happen next. And in that moment when everybody was turning around that I feel hopeless, that's what I said, you know what, God, I'm just going to surrender. Whatever you want for me, if they're turning around, they have the reason. Maybe it's my time. And that's when I said, I just surrender and do whatever you want. And in that moment, that's when a huge wave came and crushed me under the ocean. And when I was under the ocean, that's when I opened my eyes and I saw this big shadow coming my way. Now, when you was under the ocean, was you losing your breath? Like, was you drowning? Yeah, yeah, I was losing my breath. That's why you was asking me if it was. Did it hurt? Yes. Well, I was, I was drinking water. I was coming down, but it was like a whirlpool under the water because, you know, a big, huge wave crushed you down. You know, you go back and forth, left and right. But when everything was coming, that's when I see this shadow coming my way. It, was, it wasn't that painful, but it was super scary. And I really thought I was dying in that moment, you know? But I didn't know what was coming next with my whole story. And that's when the dolphin, he grabbed me by the stomach. He pushed me all the way to the top by my Grabbed stomach. you by your stomach, like with his head or? Yeah, with his head, with the top of the head. And when I get to the top, I think I grab him somehow by the tail. And I, I was hanging on him on the tail the whole time. For 10 minutes, he just stayed right there. Everybody was watching. Even one person that was on the, on the top of the hill, he said that dolphin was swimming with another dolphin. So that dolphin came out of the family and he stayed with me. That's what uh, one of the spectators told me that the dolphin did. 
And that, that island is famous because you can see manatees, dolphins, and a lot of marine life there. Now, in the beginning, somebody told you guys not to go there. It's dangerous. Like, even without this storm and the, was it tidal wave, you called it? or Well, apparently is. Well, the thing is, he told me that because the island have an in and out. So the outside of the island is open ocean. So it doesn't have anything that protects you. But inside of the island is closed and it has like a protection. So you, and it's, it's very, it's like a circle inside of the island that they did with protection with rocks around. But at the other side is completely open ocean. And that's why he was telling me, be careful. It looks nice, but it's be careful because something could happen. He didn't tell me about the riptide. So another thing I didn't tell you when the police arrived and they asked me what happened, I said like, really what happened? You guys don't have a red flag on this beach. You have to have a sign that is saying what a riptide is. You charge $20 to come here, but you don't have lightsabers here. I mean, today could be me. What about the six guys that jump? They could die too. Good Maybe for could you. Be kids, you know? So Good do for something. You. Exactly. So and believe me, I've been going through the years and they're being changing for good. I mean, the signs and all that. But I, I was so mad. I thought like, look, it's not about me. It's maybe more people and more kids could jump there and die. Do it for them. You know, it's not just to charge people to go to that island, you know. And it was a holiday. You should have a people taking care of, you know, like lifesavers there, you know. So I have noticed something common in near-death experiences is I hear a lot of in their thinking or even afterwards, like you saying that, or their thought process while they're dying or right before they die. A lot of times I'm catching on that they are not thinking of themselves. They are thinking about what about my family or my mother or what about other people um one guy recently he was almost getting ready to be in a car wreck and he was just like he's seen a family like mother and kids in a car he says i'm not killing somebody else because of my mistakes you know just just let me go don't let me go in that lane you know and i'm i've been picking up on this these acts of unselfishness that maybe, you know, everybody says, why some people have NDEs and not others? Why some say and not others? And sometimes I wonder if maybe some people just find favor in God in the last desperate moments, what we are truly made of, that we may not even know, you know, say somebody run into a burning building to, you know, save a child or whatever. It just seems, I'm just picking up on these things. And like you afterwards, what do you do? You go and you take say, hey, you know, not about me, but other people, you need to do this. Another thing I respect is that, and I wish more of us would do, myself including, is when we have a miracle, go to church right now. Start telling people. And I know you didn't mean to start telling people, but, you know, it, it come out, it's like it was put in your path that way. And I think God does that too. He puts things in our path that will bring it out of our mouth. And like the pictures that will give us confirmation that we'll know this is real. And there's so many similarities. I think it just shows how God works. It shows God's mind. And um, yeah, I just love your story. No, I just, I just want to let you know, this is not the first time that I go to near death. This was one of the more remarkable near death that I have. I jumped off our airplane years in 2010 and my parachute didn't open. So I was in the air, 7,500 feet on the air, 
and pulling, 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 pulling. And in that moment, what I feel, and I just relax myself and say, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm ready, go. But in that moment, the parachute opens. <laughs> After like, I, I was relaxed, I said, okay, God, just let it go. I cannot do anything. Can I, I'm gonna worry about, I don't think about my family. Like in this moment, I think is relax. The moment is, is, is almost there. So I wanna enter in peace or whatever I go in. So, and when I was a child, a lot of car accidents that I, I thought I'm gonna die. And I just, in that moment, everything happening in slow motion. So you can see when the car is throwing, like going around and, and you think like in a few seconds, I will be in heaven. That's what I think all the times when I have a near death experience, that's what I feel. And I'm, let me tell you another one, a little quick. When I was 14 years old, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I have a uh, leukemia. To make the story short, after visit 10 doctors, the last doctor was a hematologist, so a specialist in blood. And he grabbed my mom and my dad said, I'm sorry, we did the last sample. It was the bone marrow sample, a biopsy. And I'm sorry, you, your son is in the last step. So last stage, so we cannot do anything. No chemotherapy, radiator, nothing. So just take it home. He's gonna die there. I mean, I'm the best doctor on this. and. You cannot do anything. So my mom starts crying, my dad starts crying, they feel horrible. I feel horrible in the background, but I was behind my dad and mom, the desk and the doctor, and I heard for the first time in my life, a 14 years old, this voice inside of me that said there was God, he don't have the last word I had. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who said that? I didn't want to say anything to my mom because my mom was very strict. And I know my mom is going to slap me on my face because she's going to think I'm making fun, you know? But I heard God's voice say yes, about yes. the doctor, he don't have yes. the last word. He don't have the last word I had. And I was like, what in the world is this? I never heard anything in my life. So this was the first one. Anyways, my mom grabbed the doctor and started checking. You want to save my son? You have sons and daughters and you will go to the end of the world to save my son. Do something, please do something. And the doctor said, okay, sit down. After 45 minutes fighting, the doctor said, you know what? I have two options. Number one, go to Houston, Texas and do a bone marrow transplant. Number two, go to France and I'm working with another doctor to a formula that we can put on Carlos and it can work. So my mom said, how much is to pay for the transplant in Houston? And the doctor said, well, maybe it's gonna take for you to sell your house, your cars and everything you have to pay for the surgery. And my mom said, oh my God, doctor, but you guarantee that you're gonna save my son? And the doctor said, no. We don't know, it could be 50-50 chance, we don't know. We don't know how his organs are gonna work with his body, you know? My mom said, okay, I don't like that one. Number two, well, if you go to France, we can start this treatment with this uh, hormone that we're trying to make in Paris. But if you bring it, I mean, we can start working with that. At least you are doing something. So my mom used to work in the Air Force. So one of the people that worked with her went to France, bring the pill, I started drinking it. But after a month, the pill wasn't working like the doctor thought it, it was gonna be. Why? Because my Y cells in my body, they were dying. So anything that could happen to me, I will die with. Like- And you say you were 10? A what? You were 10? 14, 14, 14 years old. Yeah. So after, after a month, my mom crying, my dad crying. And I said, God, why you're doing this to me? You know, like, I don't wanna see my parents suffering. And I said to myself, you know what, I have an idea. I have an uncle that he's super rich. 
let me tell my mom if we can call him and he can give us the money and we can go there. So I call him, I tell my mom first, mom, can I call my uncle? He's a real estate, but he, he made like 200 houses, buildings and stuff. So and my mom said, no, don't even try because you don't know him. Of course, I was 14 years old. And after she went to work, I said, like, wait a minute, she's not going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to call him. <laughs> <laughs> so I grabbed the phone and called my uncle. And I said, uncle, this is what's happening to me. Thank you for answering the phone. And I told the whole story. And at the end, he said, I'm sorry, I cannot help you. And he hung up the phone on me. So in that moment was when the first miracle came to my life. I feel heat all over my body and I start crying. I said, God, what I have done for, for me to die right now, you know? And then this heat started coming more and more through my body. And I said, wait a minute, there is a God. I'm mean, studying a Catholic school and they said there is a God that he can, save you. he can save you if you ask from your heart, you know? So I stand up and say, okay, wait a minute, God, let's do a deal right here. If you save me from this cancer, I promise that I'm going to tell everybody what you've done to me because I'm going to be a living proof that you're real. There is a lot of people that don't believe in God. Well, hello, I'm here. I'm going to tell them. Guess what? Three months after the treatment, the doctor called my mom and said, okay, it's time to do the final exam. Let's go to the CT scan. You know the CT scan, the big tube that they take you in? So they took me in. All the results come, and guess what? Everything was blind. The cancer disappeared. So my mom was super happy. Oh my God, this is amazing. This is a miracle. But the doctor have a bulldog face. I was like, no, this is not a miracle. I'm like, what are you talking, doctor? I said, well, lady, miracles, number one, doesn't exist. Number two, this is called remission. Remission is when the cancer disappears and then come back worse. And I was in front of my doctor, my mom, and I heard a God again. and said, this will never happen to you again. And I was like, okay, thank you. But I couldn't say that to my mom neither. And after that moment, I never had cancer in my life again. So it was, I think it was my first call in, you know? And because I didn't pay attention because I was a kid, 14 years old, that's when the second wave came later in my life. So I have a second call. Seems like God knows who will tell, who yes. will tell their story and share and touch yes. people. Same as you do with your story, a beautiful story. Yeah, I just regret that I was so scared to tell for so long. Oh, me too. I was I was panicked. I didn't want to do this. You're kidding me? Yeah. And, uh, because there is so much hate outside, you know, but I said like, eh, I was about to die and I didn't do anything in my life. Why don't you spread the message and save some lives out there? You know, I receive a lot of people that are trying to commit suicide and I, I put it on my book. I, I create five steps to do not commit suicide because I have so many calls. And I always ask them like, why do you call me? Why you don't call your mom or your dad? Like you put all this weight on me. I said, because the voice that I heard called Carlos in all these five uh, people trying to kill themselves. So I explain step-by-step step on my book, what you have to do because all these calls that I receive is in the middle of the night, one, two a.m. in the morning and people with guns on their mouth, they cannot handle life. They don't have money to pay their bills or they have a sickness or their wife don't understand them. And you know, I mean, I said like, my mom used to say, everything in life have a solution. The only thing that I have a solution is death itself. So my mom used to say to life, it depends on what part of the window you're watching. But every time that you change the position, you can see life through another window 
and you can see another way to resolve problems, you know? You just need to have faith in yourself, faith in God, and move. I had another guest on recently that's doing things to help people with suicide, Darren Ham. Uh-huh. You guys should talk. Okay. I can give you each of your emails, and you guys can. Okay, another thing that I want to tell you, I met on that meeting with the CEOs, the last meeting that I went, that was before COVID, I think. I was invited and I was in a circle, right? So I was at the end of the circle and in the other side of the circle was this guy, his name is Kevin Hines. And he started telling his story. And guess what? He was saved by a, a sea lion. He jumped off the golden bridge of San Francisco. And uh, when he was on the air, he said, God help me. And that's when he crushed in the water and magically, I mean, just his head and one arm was good, so he could swim a little bit. But that's when the sea lion came and saved him. And then I, I said, you are the guy with the, I already knew kind of his story. So you're the guy with the sea lion. So like, you're the guy with the dolphin. So like, yep, <laughs> we're in the same room. That was like crazy. To him. <laughs> yes, that's crazy, right? So I, that was amazing. Yeah. We didn't plan it. It was like that. So. Yeah. Is your second book out now? No, I'm writing my second book right now. Okay. So and the first one is Help from Heaven. Is that right? Help, help from Heaven. Help from Heaven. Miracles happen when you believe. There are three books like Help from Heaven. Uh, one of the first books is um, uh, Fire, Fire, Fire from the Fire Department. One of the guys that work at the Fire Department that he have seen miracles when they rescue people. So that's the first book. It's not my book, it's somebody else's book, but it's called Help From Heaven. But mine is called Help From Heaven, Miracles Happen When You Believe. It's on Amazon, it's on Barnes & Noble, it's on Walmart. I mean, you can find it anywhere where you want. Mm -hmm. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, if you guys wanna join my community and your community, I have a Facebook page. It's called Beyond Near Death Experiences. Peg is there, I'm there. And um, you will hear more stories. That's what I do as an administrator, is to bring the community. You know, the first time when I start doing, uh, when I when this happened to me, I need answers. So I didn't know what happened to me. I didn't know what Jesus showed to me. So I went to church to also be a near death spirit. They didn't want to say anything to me. And I feel alone. I was like, what? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only person in the world that this happened. So I went to Google and I Googled people that have near death experience. and I found a huge community. And I said, you know what? I want to be part of that community. I want to open a little house for that community. So that's when I put my, my page on Facebook. I start little. We're about to be a thousand people right now, but I mean, I just want to be a drop in the ocean for help. Others. Well, if you hear of any in the ears, I want to share their story. Send them to me, please. Sure, I'm I always will. looking for guests. Okay. They're hard to find sometimes. I know. <laughs> I know, but yeah, I will, I will send it to you. All right. Thank you. Well, well thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you to you, Peggy. Thank you for calling me and thank you for this interview on my birthday. This is the best birthday I ever had. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you so much. Enjoy and the rest of your day. Thank you for everybody watching. Yes, thank Pardon you me? too. And everybody that's watching, thank you so much. And God bless everybody that's watching around. And God bless you too. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Have a bye wonderful bye. day too. Take care.